Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast. My name is David, and I'm actually alone this week. James is out on assignment helping a buddy do a uh, short film, I believe. And uh, he'll be back next podcast, but uh, looks like you're stuck with me this week. And some stuff I wanted to talk about on this edition is uh, primarily solo-related, the box office. The box office to me is big. Growing up, I always looked at box offices of the big films, and growing up in the internet age, it's very easy to actually track that. And unfortunately, Solo did drop 65% at the box office. It barely came in at $29 million, I believe. And during its first weekend of release, it barely hit 84. Then with the Memorial Day, it barely went over 100 million, and it was projected to make 150 to 170 million opening weekend, and it drastically fell short. And to me, that was that was maybe in part due to a number of factors. Factor one. I mean, look at the look at what's at the theater right now. A bunch of nerd-centric movies. You have Infinity War. It's the largest opening of all time. Of course, that's going to have repeat viewing. Marvel seems to have taken over the tag of best franchise or the most popular franchise with this generation. And after that, you had a couple weeks, and then you had Deadpool 2 come out. So I know Deadpool 2 was actually going to show up the week after Solo. So they move their spot up a couple weeks, and that hit. And it's not cheap to go to the movies these days. And I know a lot of people actually don't have the resources to go to three movies in a, about a month span of time. So yeah, that's that's one obstacle. The next obstacle is... Memorial Day weekend is not traditionally the best weekend to release a film. I think the title holder currently for box office is Pirates of the Caribbean at $139 million, I believe. And that's not a whole lot compared to a lot of other blockbusters. So traditionally, that weekend has been trending down in movies for whatever reason. I don't know. It's, 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 it is a holiday in the States, in the United States. Um, but... Um, it just didn't come through. And to me, it's it's directly related to Deadpool and Infinity War. The, those two movies still made tens of millions of dollars. I believe Deadpool still made about $30 million, And that's an R-rated movie. So releasing Memorial Day was not maybe the best strategy. And we talked about it before on the podcast, but Christmas time. Christmas time should be... The, the the weekend, the holiday, where you actually just take the time, build the hype throughout the year, and then release a Star Wars film. That's the other factor, too. It did not have the hype behind it that it should have. We're coming off five months away from the last Star Wars film, which was The Last Jedi, which was super divisive among fans. Some fans absolutely love it. James loved it. I didn't. And that wasn't going to deter me from my excitement over Solo. James didn't have as much excitement as I did for Solo. I had a lot of excitement. I thought they could do a lot of good stuff with it. And I think they did, which I'll talk about a little bit more. All the Easter eggs and just all like the juicy tidbits that they dropped. All the one-liners. And it, that was that was kind of unfortunate because you had people posting pictures of half-empty and totally empty theaters of people going to watch Solo, and it's kind of depressing. I mean, being a big Star Wars fan, you don't want to see that. It's um, it's disheartening. It's, it is depressing to me, but uh, being a box office guy. But uh, I think it was just a bad strategy overall to release Solo during this time frame. 
I mean, it, it's just too crowded. It's way too crowded. And it doesn't feel like Star Wars is actually a a Marvel-type franchise where you can concentrate on specific characters that the general public doesn't know a whole lot about. But then again, with Star Wars, you do have a lot of characters, and it seems like Lucasfilm's direction is, okay, well, we'll release a saga film, not really have a plan and overarching story between three films and a trilogy and just hand it off to different directors and then do the same thing with the standalone Star Wars stories. And to me, that's that, that plan of not having a plan is not working out very well. And I think it's kind of showing. I think Marvel's getting rewarded and Star Wars isn't, just for the simple fact that it's different directors. And then the other factor behind Solo not doing so great is all the negativity behind the scenes of making the film. The whole saga of Lord and Miller getting replaced, Ron Howard coming on, and then the rumor that Alden Ehrenreich needed an acting coach, which I think was totally bogus. He did need an acting coach, but it wasn't for the reasons that you thought. He needed an acting coach to help him with his stunts and acting. And a lot of stars, a lot of big-time established stars do need acting coaches, and they employ acting coaches, which isn't a big deal. Kind of like the same situation with Rogue One when we heard about the reshoots, and to me that wasn't a big deal because every major film schedules reshoots in advance. So, But we did find out later on that Tony Gilroy was brought on, and he reshot a large portion of the ending. That's why we didn't get a lot of scenes from those trailers that were that ended up in Rogue One. But I still love Gareth Edwards, though. I think he's an awesome dude. And it was just, it, that was a weird situation. And this was kind of a weird situation, too. So that's the other factor, just the negativity surrounding the whole project. And just that whole imperfect storm of events, I think, really contributed. Also, there's people out there calling for boycotts, which I think is totally ridiculous. If the people that boycotted the film actually went to go see Solo, they would find that, okay, well, the reason why they boycotted was because they weren't pleased with The Last Jedi. They would be pleased with Solo because it's a Star Wars film. It's a very much Star Wars-centric film. It connects multiple films in the saga. It connects multiple EU novels and EU stories that we've heard. And, I mean, it's it, it was a great film for a hardcore Star Wars fan because there was a ton of stuff they released that just connected everything. And that's what, I've, that's what I really love. I always talk about connective tissue. If you can connect a film somehow and have surprises along the way as well. And I'm going to, like I said, I want to talk about that later on, but uh, which will be spoilers. I mean, you've had two weekends to go see the film, so we've given you that long, and if you're not going to see it by today, which is a Tuesday, I mean, when are you going to see it? <laughs> and you've probably been spoiled by now anyways. So, the other thing I wanted to talk about, which was kind of a downer, was the fact that uh, Kelly Marie Tran left social media. I think specifically she left Instagram because she was getting constant harassing messages. I actually sent her a, a message months ago telling her how great she was and just how awesome she was on social media for posting stuff. And it seemed like she was getting just horrible, horrible stuff sent to her. And, I mean, you'll... I mean, you know she's strong. I mean, when you're a celebrity, you're going to get a certain amount of messages and hate and stuff like that. But, I mean, it, it, it really sucks that she's gone now. And there's been a lot of reaction on that. But, um, yeah, that just really sucks. And I know Daisy Ridley actually left, too. She left because she posted her opinion on gun control, I believe. And then she got a lot of harassment. And that caused her to leave. So it's it's just one of those things. I mean, everyone has their own opinion. And and it's just that. I mean, it's, it's your opinion. But um, to me, Rose as a character 
was not as bad as a lot of people said it was. I, I just didn't get that out of out of her performance. I thought her performance was really good. She showed that she could act, but um, yeah, a lot of people comparing her to Jar Jar Binks, and it just didn't make any sense to me. I think that's just that particular sect of a fandom that is just way off and just has a crazy agenda. I don't know. But being a Star Wars fan, that does kind of suck because she she had some pretty good posts. I really enjoyed them. But it looks like she's gone at least for a while. And um, sad. It's kind of a downer <laughs> today. <laughs> but uh, like I mentioned earlier, I do want to talk about the Easter eggs that were in Solo. And like I said before, this is all spoiler stuff. So if you haven't seen Solo, you probably want to turn the podcast off and listen later on because I'm about to spoil a whole lot of stuff. It's a whole lot of good stuff, I think. A whole lot of connective tissue like I talk about. So I'm going to spoil a lot of Solo if you haven't seen it. Turn off the podcast. Come back later after you've seen the film. Maybe you'll learn something. I know there was a lot of stuff in there that I didn't notice, and uh, I kind of found out after the fact. I got to see the film three times. I saw it twice Thursday night when it opened, and I saw it once with, um, it was two times I saw it with friends, and then I saw it once on that Sunday, Memorial Day weekend with my family, and it felt like to me, like, every time I saw it, it got better, and the third time I saw it, it got really good. Because I could pick up on more of the dialogue because the visuals, of course, are, are awesome. And I'm a really visual guy. The visuals are what catches my attention and what I kind of concentrate on. But like I said, this is spoilers, so here we go. Um, the opening, I really wondered what the opening was going to be like. Because, of course, Star Wars stories has been stated. Um, Kathleen Kennedy has said in the past that they're not going to do the opening crawl, the classic opening crawl. She said that they're going to save that for the saga films. Okay, fine. I would prefer them have the opening crawl for the Star Wars stories, but they did something kind of in between that and nothing, I guess you could say, like Rogue One did. It was just, bam, the story just happened and we saw a planet. But it it was cool because they took the long time ago in a galaxy far, far away blue font and continued it which i did not expect and it sped out spelled out the world the words uh corellia which we've never seen spe- spelled out before we've heard han say carillion in a new hope when he was talking to ben kenobi but we never i don't think we've ever gotten that word before which is a planet which is han's homeworld, and it's a shipbuilding planet and we got to see some of that in action when Han was, was in the beginning, he hot wires a speeder and we pan up and it's straight from the trailer and we see a Star Destroyer being constructed. And that was interesting. And the fact that Corellia is so kind of like dirty, it's, it's very much of George Lucas's used universe and it, it didn't seem like it had an upscale part of it but of course we saw just a tiny piece of the world but um, we got to see the infamous dice so of course we've heard in the past that the dice helped Han win the Falcon from Lando and uh, unfortunately those dice didn't really come into play that way they were just kind of like a rabbit's foot I mean they're just lucky they're just a lucky thing to have for for Han and he hung them up on a speeder looks like he does that every time He's in a speeder, steals something, or has them with him whenever he does something like that. But um, we do see Kira, and they do kiss in the beginning, which was something everyone was wondering. Are they together? Do they kiss? And we got that answer right away. They were together. And one of the interesting lines that Kira says is that Crimson Dawn will have will cut out our heart. And immediately, my mind went to Indiana Jones. And when they, when they actually cut the guy's heart out, pull it out, 
which was a freaky scene to me when I was a little kid when I saw that the first time. And I kind of couldn't look because that was really, really strange and freaky. But I don't think anyone's really talked about that. So that was the first thing that, that came up. And then the Imperial March music was playing for an ad for the Empire, which is kind of like fourth wall breaking. It was kind of weird because does that make John Williams canon within the Star Wars universe? I don't know, but his music was playing, which was kind of kind of cool, but then kind of weird at the same time. And then the other weird thing that a lot of people had a problem with was the fact that that Imperial guy that, that checked him in gave him the name of Solo. I mean, Han shows up. And he says, yeah, my name's Han. And the Imperial asks him for his last name. And he says he doesn't have one. He doesn't have a group. He doesn't have a family. So the Imperial names him Solo, which a lot of people cringed. I didn't because I thought they kind of pulled it off. I mean, the, the way the dialogue was and the cadence, I thought they kind of pulled it off. But, yeah, on paper, it's it's it looks cringeworthy. And... Uh, I know Bob Iger said in the past that we're going to find out how Solo gets his name, and he was being literal, so <laughs> that was uh, that was just one of those things that kind of like went to the radar, but um, after that, uh, we do see Han on a planet, and the Imperial does says you'll be flying in no time, and then we see Han flying through the air on a planet called Mimban, and of course, we didn't get the the titles on the screen like we did for Rogue One, which I loved. I know James said he didn't like that, and he said that took him out of it or something. But I, I w it would have been awesome if we got to see the title. I'm just saying. But the title of that mud planet was Mimban, which is an original planet that they were going to use in 1977, but it got cut out of the original film and was repurposed uh, somewhat as Dagobah for Empire, of course. And it was also a planet that was in the novel Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was the very first Star Wars novel. And on the planet, of course, Han ends up being fed to the beast, and the beast turns out to be Chewie. I didn't even think about Chewie. I heard the roar, and I thought it was something like a Rancor-type monster at first. But then, of course, Chewie pops out, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is on now. They're going to become friends, they're going to be buddies, they're going to break out, and that's exactly what happened. They become buddies, and Chewie just flings Han around like a ragdoll. It was pretty impressive, and it was nice stunt work. And just tossing Han out of the hole, then dragging Han, <laughs> it, it, was, it was a pretty awesome display of power. And um, we also found out that Han can speak the Wookiee language as well as understand it, of course, because... Of course, we found that out in the original trilogy, but uh, it's called the the name of the language is called Shrewook. I didn't know this until recently, and <laughs> I think on one of the podcasts I, I quizzed, uh, I was quizzing Joseph, and he thought long and hard, but he got it. But I I didn't know it. But that was kind of a a funny moment. I think it was during the Empire podcast we did, the Empire commentary. If you haven't listened to that, check that out. We've done commentaries for. A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. We're going to do more commentaries, and we're probably going to do Rogue One next. So, And I think that's one of my favorite Star Wars films. One of them, probably the, my most favorite Star Wars film of the recent Disney purchase. But anyways, um, there's a rumor that there's going to be deleted, multiple deleted scenes, and we're going to find out how Han knew how to speak the Wookiee language. So, because a lot of people were kind of irked by that as well. I wasn't. I thought that was kind of a cool thing. Of course, he learns at some point how to speak Wookiee, Shri Wook. So, that didn't bug me. Now, everyone was wondering about the character of Val. Was Val going to be Enfys Nest? Was Val going to be another villain? What was she going to be? I think she totally surprised us. And was a cool character that died very early, which was kind of sad to see. Her death scene was pretty cool, but 
I mean, Tanny Newton can can act. I mean, she played an awesome, an awesome smuggler, almost like scoundrel type. And she was Beckett's girl. And she does throw out the mention that why don't we get the Zam sisters or Bosk to help on the Conveyx train heist. And I was like, yes, they mentioned Bosk. That's that's super cool. And of course, Bosk is uh, one of the bounty hunters that we see in Empire Strikes Back. The lizard, humanoid bounty hunter that um, I think we hear him growl or hiss a little bit. And if you go to StarWars.com, you can actually hear what a Trandoshan sounds like. And it sounds kind of like what you would figure a lizard man to sound like. And Han gets his DL-44 blaster from Beckett. We see that whole scene. We saw that, I think, in the trailers and the commercials. Beckett kisses the DL-44 and throws it to Han. That's when he gets it. And it's rumored that in the deleted scenes, we'll see how Beckett obtained the DL-44. So I'm really interested in, in getting the digital download on iTunes and checking out all the deleted scenes first because that's where, where I usually go to for a big film like this that I've seen multiple times. You want to check out the deleted scenes and see what might have been added. I'm a big fan of deleted scenes. I think it's great that filmmakers add those in. I know Ryan Johnson wasn't a big fan of that, but just to add a little bit more and maybe even have them in the film or have an extended edition. I'm a big fan of that. I became a big fan of that with the Lord of the Rings because, oh man, those are just the best, especially the extended edition. It adds another layer of, of what you're watching and detail and, like I say, connective tissue. And in that same scene during the Conveyx train heist, we see Viper droids deployed, which are really prevalent in the Battlefront video games. So I thought that was kind of cool because our um, executive, executive producer, Colin, he did tell me before, he got to watch the film before us, he said that there was Battlefront reference, and I'm figuring that's what he meant, the Viper droids. And of course we end up in Dryden Voss's office, which has a ton of artifacts, therefore having a ton of Easter eggs. And of course, we saw at the beginning, we reported this on one of the earlier podcasts, that there was a Mandalorian suit of armor, which we have later found out that it's actually an old Republic-era Mandalorian armor set. And one of my admins on the Star Wars Stuff Facebook group talked about how he thought he saw that Mandalorian action, and I thought I saw him too. I don't know if, if I haven't looked it up, but I'm pretty sure there's a commercial out there that if it's not the Mandalore, it was Dryden's right-hand man. Uh, but that would have been cool if that suit of armor came to life. I, I think that would have been that would have given this this film a whole lot more cool points, I guess you could say. I don't know how they would work that in, but. It's kind of a drag sometimes when you see something cool and nothing happens with it. So, there's my two cents on that. But, like I said, in his office, there was like a model, like almost like a stained glass of a Sith holocron. And around it, they, it looked to be what appeared to be six lightsaber hilts around it. Which was kind of interesting. If, if you blink, you miss it. But... And stills and photos, you can actually see what look to be hilts of lightsabers. I don't know if they are. I don't think there's been confirmation on that. But they are there. Also, I don't think we really got to see it in the film. It's probably another one of those you blink, you miss it. But there is a stuffed Ewok in a glass case. And we reported, we reported that on a previous podcast. But it is there. And clearly we all see a big crystal skull in that office, which is connected to the Star Wars universe in that it appeared in Han Solo Adventures trilogy books. I'd never read them, but I know that they are connected to those stories. And of course, we all know Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which 
many regard to be one of the worst Indiana Jones, well, the worst Indiana Jones film. And a lot of people want to just ignore it. But um, it is Lucasfilm. And also, the other thing in Dryden's office um, was a reference to Indiana Jones. It was the fertility idol that uh, Indy um, trades with the sand and, uh, and of course, Indiana Jones. And that was... Uh, that was one of those nods because, of course, Indiana Jones throws nods to Star Wars and all of its films. And, of course, they're allowed to do that because it's the same company. Um, we get to see the Kessel Run. And that's one of those that a lot of fans were saying, I didn't need to see that. But it's cool that we actually got to see it and got the explanation of how he accomplished flying... Under twenty parsecs, which Lando states it's it's not possible to fly to do the castle run in twenty parsecs, and of course we find out that Han does it in twelve rounded down. So, which was a funny moment at the end of it, but flying through the maelstrom and having that music played, the the original John Williams remixed. It, it it was awesome. There's actually a, it's it's on the solo soundtrack. It's called I believe it's called Reminiscence Therapy, and it's just awesome. It, it's a new version of uh, the the New Hope uh, soundtrack, the score, and it's a slightly remix. And they also mix in the asteroid field scene in Empire, and I've been listening to that on and off, and <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's incredible what John Powell did with it. So, we're going through the Kessel Run, of course. On Kessel, L3 goes down. She gets shot. Lando goes to rescue her. Lando gets shot. Then Han goes out to rescue him. Then Chewie sees that. He's taking a long time. Chewie goes run, goes to run and rescue Lando. Picks up Lando with L3. Takes him on the ship. And Beckett orders... Han to fly the Falcon, get him out of there. And that's where we get the scene where Han pilots the Falcon for the very first time. Jumps in, takes off, and they're going through the tunnel, the Kessel Run, and there's an Imperial blockade. A massive Star Destroyer is in the way. And Han says, well, I know these guys. I used to be one of them. They're not going to waste a TIE Fighter on us. And about six TIE, TIE Fighters pop out. And uh, Han decides to uh, make the Kessel Run and go straight through where no ship ever comes out. And he uses the logic that you can take the brain of L3, plug it into the Falcon, because Lando said it himself. It ha L3 has the best navigation map in the galaxy. So if, if you theoretically plug that into the Falcon... She becomes part of the Falcon and interfaces with the Falcon. And the interesting thing is that Jason Fry, in the Last Jedi novelization, has a scene where R2-D2 says there are three different brains in the Falcon and that one of them likes dirty jokes. And, I mean, right there, I mean, that's probably L3 in a nutshell. And, of course, in Empire, when C-3PO references... Uh, the Falcon has a very peculiar dialect. Uh, I mean, that's probably a reference to L3 right there. Um, so, yeah, there's there's some pretty deep cuts there. And when they plug in the brain, they plug it into that panel. It's a circular panel, and they see it's it's a screen. And what they see are are looks to be arcade-like graphics. And we've seen that in every old trilogy film we've seen that panel react differently and in the force awakens i noticed that it lit up a little bit differently but they probably didn't have the idea for l3 then but now she's always been there i mean she was there when they blew up the first and second death star i mean she was always there and of course an empire when they're looking for a place to hide out from the empire it's L3 recommending Cloud City, Lando system. So that all ties in there, which is brilliant, I think. 
So, at Kessel, before I move on from Kessel, uh, Kira takes down one of those one of those Pike guys, and L3 says, whoa, where did you learn that? And then she talks about, well, that was Terakasi. Dryden taught me. And Terakasi is another deep cut. That was actually reference in Shadows of the Empire. It was a novel back in 1996. And then a year later, in 1997, there was a game called Terakasi for the PlayStation that was released. It was like a Mortal Kombat-style fighting game. So, which apparently wasn't that great. And to think all the way back then, I think I played it, but it wasn't very popular. And a lot of people will tell you that. And the deep cut that I, that I found very fascinating was, of course, Star Wars' lucky charm, Warwick Davis. He's, he's in every film, just like Anthony Daniels. And before I jump there, Anthony Daniels does make an appearance. And he has lines, if you didn't notice. He was the guy next to Sagwa, which was the other Wookiee we see escaping that was with Chewie. He was aiding them and wanted... Anthony Daniels' character wanted Chewie as well to leave with them before Chewie got on the Falcon to make the Kessel Run. So Anthony Daniels has continued his streak in appearing in Star Wars films. Not as a droid this time, but as an actor. So, with speaking lines. So he's continued his streak. And like I said, Warwick Davis continued his streak as well. But it was so interesting to me that he brought back, he was brought back to play Weasel. And that's a character that appeared in episode one alongside Watto during the pod race. If you go back and check that out, he's there. And of course, that's the same guy. That's the same guy. That's, that is a super deep cut. I just love it when they do stuff like that. And of course, Warwick Davis has appeared in every single film except for the original Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, I believe. But And even some of his family have appeared. I know his family appeared in The Force Awakens. And also, connecting multiple films in Solo, I thought that was one of the major successes of the film. Because like I just said, you had episode one, you have... Um, I didn't even talk about the Cloud Riders. The Cloud Riders is actually a, a swoop bike gang from the Marvel comics, so you include comic stuff in there. You, uh, you had Beckett talk about... And this was kind of a funny thing with me, because when Beckett was at the, as at the campfire, he talked about playing the Val Accord. And to me, I thought that was a play on Val's name. And I thought he was kind of referencing being with Val, but it, the Valacord is an actual Star Wars instrument. It has, like, keys on it. And he does reference it at the end of the film, of course. But uh, the Valacord was an instrument that uh, the Wexleys owned, which is in the comics. You can You can read about that. So you have two comic references. And then, of course, once we get that reveal of Enfys Ness, who they kind of allude that the person wearing the armor is the daughter of the original Enfys Ness. And they're basically the rebellion, the, the seeds, the kernels of the rebellion. And they're basically getting their, their money via the coaxium, the coaxium fuel that they're kind of using to, pardon the pun, fuel the, the rebellion. But in the Cloud Riders, it looks like it was either Idrio or Benthic two tubes, which we later find find out in Rogue One that that guy is part of Saw Gerrera's group. And then we saw Rodian, which for I don't know what reason they haven't stuck more Rodians in these new Disney films, which they are pretty prevalent. And I was really happy to see one of those guys in there. But um, another... Not so much of a deep cut, but it was really cool to see them as part of the Cloud Riders with Enfys Nest. Also, I found it interesting that the Black Spire was referenced by L3, and that's actually 
being built right now at Disneyland and Disney World at Galaxy's Edge. We'll be able to go to the Black Spire Outpost and, uh, I don't know, maybe CL3 or see something else that was referenced in Solo in person. And once we get to the end of the film, uh, I found it very interesting that it doesn't seem like anyone's reported on this. But I'm fairly sure that either inspiration or the exact footage that they released for Rogue One's teaser trailer at Celebration was aired in the film. It, it was a teaser where you hear Obi-Wan speaking, and it's his whole spiel about the Clone Wars. And for a thousand generations, the, the Jedi. And it seemed like it was that exact trailer. And then you pull up and you see another kind of cave or casino and Lando's back again and Han approaches him and gives him that big hug that Lando gives him an empire, which will make us look at that differently now. He steals the card and then he wins the Falcon. And I thought that was a nice setup and a nice kind of callback and... It was awesome. The original Sabbat game that, that they played, Sabacc. And that's another thing I love about Star Wars is the fact that you can kind of mispronounce and throw on accents to things that <laughs> characters in the film do as well, like Falcon and Falcon, and people don't get too mad at you. But yeah, Han originally calls it Sabacc, and Lando corrects him. But... Uh, he wins a Falcon at the end, and he uses Lando's cheat card and uh, pulls it off. And basically, that's it. And they talk about Han and Chewie, once they're back in the Falcon, going back to Tatooine, going back for the big score that Beckett talks about. And Han did shoot Beckett first, so we do have one film where Han gets to shoot Beckett. Or actually shoots first. It's getting late. <laughs> Starting to shut down here. But um, I found it interesting that everyone kind of assumed that it was Jabba the Hutt that Han was talking about. But it was really just recently revealed by John Kazan that no, it wasn't Jabba the Hutt. That Han was referencing that I don't even think that Han knew that he was going to go see Jabba the Hutt on Tatooine. He just knows of a big gangster. It could be Jabba's son. Um, I mean, Beckett just said he's going to be a, see a big shot gangster for his last hit to go play the Valachord. But uh, unfortunately, the box office is not uh, helping us out here with the sequel. But then again, that very same day, uh, it was reported by, I believe, Variety that... A Boba Fett film was in the works, and it was going to be directed by James Mangold. So, um, I don't know. Hopefully, they work in something there. What I want to see is is bounty hunter action. I want all those bounty hunters from Empire Strikes Back to show up and just kind of... Because, I mean, we, we were told kind of in the beginning. I mean, that was the rumor. I mean, we really weren't told, but I mean, the rumor was we'd get a bounty hunter mission, and that would actually happen in Rogue One, but that's not what we got. We got a really great film in Rogue One, but we didn't quite get that. And of course, the big reveal, which no one saw coming, no one at all saw coming, was Maul. And I think everyone thought that Kira was going to die in this film. That didn't happen. She did kill Dryden. Once she killed Dryden, she pulled the ring off of his finger, plugged it in, and a hologram appeared, a hooded figure, and you see the mechanical legs. The first thing I thought, wow, that's just like Darth Maul. And then I heard the voice, and I said to myself, wow, that sounds just like Darth Maul. And then I said, it can't be Darth Maul. I don't think that really quite fits, but it does fit. And after thinking about it, 
it feels like that was a total genius move on Lucasfilm's part, and particularly John Kasdan's part. John was the one that championed Darth Maul. It came out that there were a list of characters that could have been that hologram. And it was reported that Darth Maul was, or Maul was at the very top of that list. And I think it was Lawrence Kasdan, or actually it was Ron Howard. He said, I think on Twitter, that his son, who's not in the business, said that that would, yeah, that he agreed that would be pretty cool. So Ron Howard agreed to it. But I think it was John Kasdan's role and co-writing with his dad, Lawrence Kasdan, who championed it, put it in the film, and now there's a lot of different directions these Star Wars films can go and include Maul. Because everyone was upset when Maul got cut in half and thought he died in Episode 1. And people thought that was a supreme waste. I was okay with it, but a lot of people were upset. They wanted to see Maul in action, full Sith mode, which is kind of what I wanted for Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. I have him in full Jedi mode, but didn't get that. So now it's kind of almost like a retcon in a way. But of course, the general public that's not keeping up with canon, not completist like a lot of us are, don't know the story of how Ma got the spider legs and he got the regular bipedal legs. And... Now we know he's the leader of Crimson Dawn. And of course they had all those clues. All those clues led up to Maul. If you think about it, I mean, the red Mandalore armor. Maul actually takes over Mandalore. The fighting style of Tereskasi. Maul had that style. Um, then the double-bladed um, daggers that Dryden Voss used. I mean, double-bladed. I mean, the hints were there. I know they're very subtle, and it's kind of a stretch, but stuff was in place, and it was a shocker to me. I think it was a shocker to just about everyone. And, of course, they got Ray Park to reprise the role physically. And, of course, they did what they did in Episode 1. They replaced his voice. Ray Ray Park is, a, is an English-sounding gentleman. He has a, a voice similar but I would say a little bit deeper than David Beckham's, but almost kind of a, I would say a David Prowse, Darth Vader situation, if you know what I mean. So they didn't get Peter Serafinowicz to reprise that. They got the voice of Rebels to reprise the role. And of course, that's Sam Witwer, who did act in the Force Unleashed video games as Starkiller. So he was already part of the Star Wars family, even more so with Rebels, and they brought him back, who is an awesome voice talent, awesome voice actor. If you can find an audio clip or a YouTube video of him doing an impression of Palpatine, it is spot on. I mean, he could do Palpatine for days, but I know Ian McDermott does love Star Wars. He loves coming back, and he has no issue with reprising Palpatine. But if he doesn't, I mean, Sam Witwer's right there. So, that was an awesome moment to include Ray Park back. I know Ray Park is always at Celebration. He's always doing cons. He loves it. If I were in his place, I'd be doing the same thing. I mean, he's he's awesome. So, we get that reveal. And I was thinking these past days, okay, well, we got the reveal. We got him speaking. And fans have talked about well why did he get, why did he force grab his lightsaber it was kind of not needed but it did keep the streak alive of seeing a lightsaber in a star wars film so <laughs> and a red light, lightsaber at that and it was a lightsaber from rebels i mean clearly so they kept some streaks alive anthony daniels and r2d2 i mean we i don't think and I haven't seen or read anyone talk about this, but there were R2 units. We did get R2KT. She was there, the pink astromech droid. I saw her clearly. But there were some astromech droids rolling around in the background. And 
I think that might count. <laughs> that might have been R2. Um, maybe not story-wise, but... I mean, he could have been there. Could have been R2. And I say he, but I think there's no real gender associated R2. But I think everyone associates him as a he. As R2KT is a girl. Droid. And the whole through line of droids with L3 was was kind of thought-provoking. It was kind of interesting. And to have her trapped in the Falcon was another kind of thought-provoking thing. I mean, to be a droid where you're all about freedom and being set free and for her to be locked up in the Falcon, that was uh, not a very happy ending for L3. I don't know. I, I, I know people who are on one side of the fence think that's a very kind of Black Mirror type scenario and other people on the other side of the fence that think that, well, I mean, she's a droid. I mean, she's more sentient than any other droid that we've seen so far in the Star Wars universe, but she's still a droid. She still exists. I mean, she could be just shut off, but I don't know. I think I'm kind of indifferent on that. But um, overall, I thought Solo was, was pretty solid. All the reference references for the hardcore fans were there. And it was an entertaining film. You didn't have to know the references to like the movie. I mean, the movie was a Western. It was a space Western. And I thought Alden did a great job. And I thought, of course, Donald Glover was great. Uh, Jonas as Chewie was great. And... The Falcon was cool. The stuff going through the Castle Run was cool. I kind of wish it was longer with more action, with more, I guess, CGI. The CGI was great. There's never really a time where I looked and saw and said, well, that doesn't look realistic. So the only issue I think I had was Val shooting that, uh, that rope gun and being slung up. That was kind of like juddery for some reason, but it was very nitpicky. But, um, yeah, overall, I say um, Solo really kind of deserved more at the box office, but it was a very imperfect storm for Solo. And having Maul there kind of really set it up for more films. But, of course, we all know that Han can't run into Maul and see the Force being used because, of course, he has the lines he's... He's seen a lot of stuff in the galaxy, and he's never seen anything like the Force. It's all luck, and we didn't get the explanation of the dice. We didn't. <laughs> I thought that I thought that was going to be a key thing, and I always wondered, okay, well, he's going to take those dice off that chain, roll them around, and stick them back on somehow. Yeah, that didn't happen, but that wasn't a big deal to me. But we got to see Sabacc being played which is really cool. And I think Neil Scanlon had his best aliens around that Sabacc table because The Force Awakens, to me, I, I thought they were good, but, I mean, it, it, I mean, you can argue that, of course, Neenum got older, Akbar got older, so you had to give him some, some uh, aging, and some of those aliens that just didn't feel like Star Wars aliens. But these aliens really felt very, very kind of right on the edge of old trilogy style aliens. The guy, the big hulking guy wearing the astronaut suit, that was a pretty cool design. And some of the side aliens, they, they were, they passed my, my test, my eye test. But, um, yeah, I think um, that is pretty much it for this week. Um, like I said, uh, thanks for listening to us. And James will be back. So uh, my voice doesn't get as raspy as it is now. And um, we'll have more news. I know there's going to be more news about Resistance coming out. And the other big piece of information that came out was Star Wars Celebration. The tickets actually went on sale this morning and of course i've told people 
it's virtually impossible to get the VIP ticket. Of course, our executive producer tried to get VIP tickets, and he got in through the queue, and they were all sold out within two minutes. So he wasn't able to get in, but he is a member of the 501st. I actually just got my boots in from Ecuador uh, for my new Hope Tide pilot, so I will be uh, taking pictures here shortly and uh, submitting to 501st and hopefully getting approved. And I actually met the um, the approving officer, I think, of the South Texas uh, garrison, which is a star garrison. And he looked at some of my pictures that I had on my phone and he said he would approve me. All I needed was the boots and the belt on. So hopefully I get into the 501st soon and um, talk to them and see what uh, what I can and cannot say about the 501st and um, move on from there. But yeah, celebration tickets went on sale. The five-day pass was $215 for the early bird and I think 235 if you buy them at a later time. So um, I'm waiting. I'm going to maybe purchase mine later on when I do have some extra funds. And um, yeah, if you want to follow us or send us an email, uh, you can follow us on Instagram at SWSPod. And you can actually send us an email at Star Wars Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. And we also have a Twitter, which is Star Wars Stuff Podcast. And. If you could be so kind as to give us a review on iTunes and um, rate us with stars, that'd be great. I think we have about 12 ratings so far, and they've all been positive. And if you have any suggestions, um, let us know what uh, you want us to maybe cover, uh, cover more on. I know we're kind of lacking on video games. I haven't been playing Battlefront 2. I have Battlefront 2, but I haven't been playing as much. Life's been kind of busy and hectic. But, uh, yeah, let me and James know, and um, whatever's on your mind. Of course, we have the Star Wars stuff Facebook group. You can also check out. Um, it's usually the big news and then funny memes, and there's a pretty good group of us on there commenting and communicating with each other. But um, next week, James will be back, like I said, and uh, hopefully I didn't put you to sleep. And um, may the force be with you, always.